Okay, well, uh, hey, welcome everybody. Thanks for being here today. It's good to have you. Uh, I also want to welcome those of you who are watching online as well. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for watching these videos. Hope you enjoy uh, kind of experiencing our church via the internet. Uh, we are in the second week of a series called Practicing Prayer, tagline, Rediscovering How to Talk to God. In this series, the goal of these four weeks together on this series is not so much information as it is transformation in our lives, actually learning how to experience prayer better, learning kind of a better picture of what I believe prayer is intended to be so that we grow in our relationship with God. But here's the interesting thing about prayer, what we talked about this last week. We, we all have such different ideas and experiences and backgrounds and upbringing with this thing called prayer. In fact, I was reading this quote earlier this week, says this, prayer is an amazing paradox. I think we will relate to this. It is a blending of simplicity and profundity. It can be an agony or an ecstasy. It can focus on a single objective or it can roam the world. It is the simplest form of speech that infant lips can try and yet at the same time is the sublimest strains that reach the majesty on high. And I don't think prayer is intended to be all of those things, certainly some of the more negative ones. But I do think that a lot of us can relate to what this guy says, that, that prayer is a very simple concept, but for many of us, it's a very difficult practice, a difficult thing to do. What do we say? How long do we say it? Do we stand, sit, kneel, fold our hands, pray out loud? All these, all these different questions. So over the course of this series, practicing prayer, we are, our, goal, our goal is not just to pray better. Okay, Praying in and of itself is not the end. Praying is not just some religious thing that we do just because. The goal of prayer and the goal of this series is that you and I would have a better understanding of how to pray so that we can have a better relationship with God as a result. Last week, we kicked off the series by talking about being honest with God. If you weren't here or if you have not had the chance to watch it online, um, you really ought to do that. I don't think there's anything more beneficial, more impactful for us if, we will not, if we're not willing to be honest with God. So that's really where this practicing prayer has to start, you and I being honest with God. Today, though, I want to start off with a verse, and um, it's a short verse, but it's a verse that's very uncomfortable for a lot of us, especially if you've been a Christian for a while, and it's a verse that I think can even make some of us feel like bad Christians, okay? So just, woo, who's ready? Yeah, that was weak. Okay, here's the verse, 1 Thessalonians 5.17, never stop praying. Never stop praying praying. At just three words, it's one of the shortest verses in the entire Bible, but it's this word right here that I think causes us so much trouble. It's the never word. In other translations, it's, it's pray continually. If you really want to go old school, King James is pray without ceasing. You know, this idea. And I think it's that, it's that not ceasing part. It's the never stopping that like, wait a minute, never you mean like as in never ever, like always, all the time? Continue? And I think that's where we run into problems with this verse. We're told to never stop praying. But for many of us, that seems impossible. It seems incredibly difficult. How in the world are we supposed to never stop praying? And I believe that the struggle with this verse comes because of our definition of prayer. Because for many of us, we define prayer as communication. 
We think prayer is always having to communicate or talk to God, that there's always got to be, whether it's talking out loud or talking to our head, we have to have these long, elaborate conversations with God, or we got to be uber-focused, and it's just communication, communication, communication. It's not really praying if you aren't really talking to God. And so here's, here's what happens. Because we feel that way, because we think prayer means communication, that means when we go to pray, we have to fill up that time. We have to say as much as we possibly can. And some of us, we've been around people that they just repeat their prayers eight times over and change a word. It's like, I got it the first time. And we just, we want to talk and talk and talk and talk and talk and talk and talk. And But here's, here's what happens. When we do that, every single one of us eventually run out of things to say. You know? Now, some of you take longer than others. You're pretty long-winded. But eventually we all come to a point where we've communicated everything we can possibly communicate, and then we think, well, I'm done with prayer. I'm going to move on and get about my day. Until you come to a service like this or you watch a video, and i got to bring up that painful never-stop-praying verse, and then we feel guilty and self-conscious that we stopped, but we were never supposed to stop. We're like, what do we do with this never-stop-praying Thing. And here's, here is the big idea for today. Okay, here's what I want to talk about and get us to think about for the next couple minutes. What if our definition of prayer is too small? What if this communication piece, what if that's not accurate? Or at least, what if what we've been taught and told and even modeled to us, what if that's only half of the story? What if we could enlarge our perspective of what prayer actually means. My wife and I have been married for almost 16 years now. It's going to be going on 16 years this June. Uh, we got married at the ripe old age of 20. Um, I can't believe our parents let us do that. When I, this is, if you are 20, this is no offense to you, but like when I look at 20-year-olds, I just think, y'all are so immature. Like, what are you, what are you thinking? And so, like, I, whatever. Anyway, we've been happily married. It's been awesome. Our relationship is better than it's ever been. And I love that the fact that we've been married for so long. We are at a point in our marriage where we are just so comfortable around each other, where there's no, like, awkwardness anymore. We don't always have to be, you know, when you go on, like, the first couple dates, you feel like there can't ever be silence, and you always got to say stuff and do stuff. We are totally past all that. We just enjoy each other's company so much, which for me is huge, because my love language is quality time. Far and away, every time I take the test, when I just think about it, quality time is how I feel the most Loved. And to be honest, it doesn't even need to be good quality, okay? Just pure time alone is like, yes, that is what I need. That's what I thrive on. And so in, in my relationship with Casey, man, I just love when we are together, regardless of what we're doing, regardless of what we're saying, regardless if it's a date night or not, just being with her is awesome. I love it so much. I love like if we got to drive to the cities or go up to Duluth or something like we can ride in the car next to each other and I feel totally fine only saying three words the whole time. I know she probably wants to talk more or whatever, but I feel so just like, oh, can we just get to be together? We don't, it's not awkward. We don't need to fill it up with stuff. It's just our relationship. I love that we, you know, we, we just watched like a couple episodes of mindless TV before we go to bed at night. That's awesome. Like, like I said, it doesn't need to be quality time, just time. I love just sitting on the couch and watching the fireplace and hearing the crackles. Like to me, there is nothing that my wife could ever give me or say to me or do for me that was more important 
than her time. It's like her most valuable resource. And when she chooses to spend it on me, man, I, I am just on cloud nine. There, in my perspective, there's no way that our relationship could be more strengthened than by us just simply spending time together. And this is true in all of my relationships, okay? With my girls, it's the same way. I mean, they're, they're 11 and 8. They don't have anything else to offer me at this point anyway. But, like, I just, maybe someday they'll be rich and I can retire. But in the meantime, in the meantime, I just love being with them. I love cuddling with them at night as I put them to bed. I love sitting on the couch and watching Marvel movies with Audrey. I love when I, you know, run to Menards or go to County Market or something. They want to tag along. Like, yeah, thank you so much. Like, that is priceless to me. I wouldn't trade it for the world because time is how I feel loved. And I think that this is probably why I don't know how to do long-distance relationships either. You know, I've had very good friends that been friends with for many years, and then they moved to, even one of them was as close as Forest Lake, and our relationship totally broke down because of me. Because I don't know how to be friends with people that we don't hang out all the time, we don't see each other all the time, we don't, we're not engaged and involved in each other's lives. And, and I think, you know, you might not be like quite as strong as I am in this area. You might not be exactly like me. Sorry for your loss if you're not. But I think we all just kind of intrinsically know the value of relationships with other people. It's why the quarantines were so hard on so many of us. It's why we invite people over or we go to friends' houses to watch the Vikings games because it's not like they play any better if I'm watching with my friends. But like there's just something about that time, and we might not even say three words to each other the whole game, but like just being there to watch the game together is awesome. Um, it, it's why going on a road trip is way more fun when you've got somebody in the passenger seat. Even better if you're both on motorcycles riding with each other. Like it's just, it's fantastic. If you've ever been through like a low point in life, kind of a, a rocky patch, it's why, man, you're just going out to coffee with a friend or having a glass of wine with friends is like, it, it somehow changes everything, even though nothing changes, because there's just something about time together, enjoying each other's company, experiencing a relationship between each other, just shoulder-to-shoulder -shoulder time. Again, no agenda. You don't have to say anything. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to go on a vacation. Just time together makes a difference in our relationships. And when it comes to prayer, I think a lot of us have missed that aspect. We are so focused. Our definition of prayer revolves so much around communication that we miss prayer also means communion. Now, not communion as in the oyster cracker and little grape juice cups we take at night of worship. Okay, not that communion. Communion as in relationship as in time together, this communing with our Heavenly Father, enjoying His company, spending time with Him is what we call it around here, that part of prayer is not just talking all the time, not just communicating all the time, but simply communing with Him, enjoying and experiencing His presence. And maybe if we have that in our minds as we look at these, these instructions about prayer, even if we go back to 1 Thessalonians, never stop praying, okay? If never stop praying means never stop communicating, that is exhausting. 
That sounds like so much work. Many of us have probably been there before. We give up. We wipe our hands from it because I, I don't have that much to say or I've said everything I could. I don't know how to do this if never stop means never stop communicating. But if never stop means never stop experiencing God, if never stop praying means never stop being with God, never stop enjoying his company, never stop being aware of his working and his wanting to be in our lives. Well, man, then suddenly everything opens up. Suddenly there's freedom in this verse. Suddenly there's almost some anticipation in this verse of like, what if that could be this never stop praying that we never had to leave the presence of God, that we could be with him anywhere, anytime? How incredible would that be? We can see this sort of thing in the life and practices of Jesus. As you, if you read through the Gospels, it's the four biographies of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. As you read through those, we can certainly see that part of Jesus' prayer life, if you want to call it that, part of that is communicating to his heavenly Father. We can read some of his prayers. In fact, he has kind of a lengthy teaching on you know, how to pray and what to say and this then. That's what we're going to talk about that next week. That's a little bit of a spoiler alert. But if you look at the Gospels as a whole, from like a 30,000-foot view, you look at the life of Jesus, and you will see this, this bigger, this better, maybe less direct, maybe you can't find a verse and point right to it, but you see this overarching theme in Jesus' life of always communing with his Heavenly Father, of always being in relationship with him. One of those times we can read about from Luke's gospel, it's the night before Jesus chooses his 12 disciples, kind of his core group that he's going to pour into and bring with him everywhere he goes. This is what Luke says happens. One day, soon afterward, Jesus went up on a mountaintop to pray, and he prayed to God all night. Most of us, when we hear that, we think, wow, you must have just been talking and praying, and we have this communication filter again. This is not, thus saith the Lord, okay? This is not, you're going to find a Bible verse. But I just believe with all my heart. When Luke says that Jesus prayed all night, it would be crazy to think that that meant Jesus talked all night. That Jesus communicated all night. That from sundown to sunup, it was just talk, 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 talk. Father, 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 go, go, go. What, like, I am sure, I am convinced that much of this time praying all night was just Jesus being with his Father. Just spending time with him. Just communing with God. Maybe some of that was, was worshiping that him. Maybe some of it was communicating. Maybe some of it was just sitting and listening. Maybe some of it was refocusing and refocusing and refocusing on his mind. God, I want to be, I want to line up with your will. I want to experience your presence. I'm sure part of what praying all night meant Jesus communing with his heavenly Father. And this was not just like, a one-off random thing that Jesus did. We can look through the Gospels almost before every big decision, before every big event, Jesus would often go off to pray alone for these extended amounts of time. And I don't think that means always talking. Just being with God, building that relationship with him, not with words, but through simply like that that shoulder-to-shoulder kind of time together. In fact, when Jesus was just getting started in ministry, after he was baptized, the very first thing he did was go and spend 40 days alone in the wilderness, fasting and praying. It would be absurd to assume that for 40 days, Jesus just talk, 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 talk. This is what prayer means. God, I just got to talk to you 40 days straight. There's no way he did that. I would bet my life savings, which is not a lot, 
But I would bet my life savings that much of that 40 days was just, Jesus, God, I'm with you. God, I want to experience your presence. God, thanks for being here. God, help me. Just, I, just, oh, I just want to be connected to you. I just want to experience your presence. Jesus would often talk and teach about how he and the Father were always one, always together, always in unison, always in relationship. In fact, during the Last Supper, as he's got kind of his close-knit group of friends around, he says this, don't you believe, like, don't you get it, that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I speak are not my own, but my Father who lives in me does his work through me. Just believe. I almost get it like leaning over the table like, please, you guys just get it. Just believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. I picture Jesus, you know, kind of sitting around at this, at this Last Supper. They're probably on the ground and he, he's just like, listen, I never say anything. I never go anywhere. I never do anything. Everything about me is in unity with my Father. We are connected. We are close. We are communing with one another. We are enjoying each other's company. Morning, noon, night, whatever it is, we are always together. Luke doesn't record, I'm sure, everything that Jesus said during this Last Supper experience. And and I'm sure as Jesus is talking about this, he's probably bringing up references to experiences that his disciples would have remembered. Hey, hey remember, when I, remember when I taught on, on the hill that one time? People are going to call it the Sermon on the Mount about a thousand years from now. But remember that hill? Right there I was with God and God was with me and we were communing together. I was praying in that moment. Remember that time I, I healed that lady of that disease or I healed those ten lepers? Remember that? Man, me and God were one. Remember that time that I kicked over the tables in the temple? Yeah, and I yeah, I kicked the Pharisees' butt and chastised them. Remember that? Man, me and God were so close right there. We were community there. I was, I was absolutely in sync with him. We were so close, our relationship. I was experiencing him. I was praying then. I get this sense that, that Jesus was like kind of predating that, that American Express commercial from the 70s. You know, never leave home without it. That was Jesus to his disciples. Man, I never leave home without my father. Except just 2,000 years earlier, he said that. Even, even to us, Jesus, Jesus instructs us, urges us, encourages us to carry the same sort of thing in our own relationship with him. He says this, remain, that's the key word, remain in me and I will remain in you. Commune with me and I will commune with you. Be with me because I want to be with you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it's severed from the vine. And you, you can't be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. This remain word right here in other translations, it's, it's abide. This, this idea of constant connection, constant experience, continually being with God. When, when Jesus says, remain in me, he is not saying, hey, uh, once a week on Fridays, let's catch up for coffee. That's not what remain means. When Jesus says remain in me, he's not saying, listen, every day I want you to have 15 minutes of quiet time where you just unload on me and you give me your grocery list of prayer requests. That's not what remain means. Remain, abide, commune. Let's never leave each other's presence. Let's always be together. Let's spend as much time together as we possibly can. That is what the goal of this whole Christianity thing is, even in the first place. Remain, 
commune, be with me. This idea of, of staying close to God, this communion sort of prayer, is all throughout the Bible. In Ephesians, Christians are encouraged to pray in the Spirit at all times and on all occasions. That's a lot. In Colossians, the Apostle Paul encourages Christians to devote themselves to prayer. Now those sound like impossible commands if prayer means communication. If prayer means talking, okay, talk in the Spirit at all times and on all occasions. Well, what about when i got to work? And what about when I'm you know, trying to cook? All these different things, they sound impossible. But if it means remain at all times, on all occasions, if it means devote yourself to communing with God, well then, man, everything changes. Because our connection to God can remain strong when we commune with him, even if we're not necessarily communicating with him. There's a verse, or not a verse, a story about Billy Graham that I think just illustrates this so well. It's the late 80s, and Billy Graham is invited to go on the Today Show for a live TV interview. It's going to be broadcast to, you know, everybody's homes in America. And so the car pulls up with Billy Graham at the NBC studios, and one of the producers of the show talks to Billy Graham's assistant and says, hey, you know, thanks for being here today. We're going to start at such and such a time or whatever. We have um, set aside a room for Billy Graham so he can go pray in that room before the interview. And the assistant is very polite and kind. He says, oh, you know, thanks so much. Um, he's not, he's not going to need the room. He doesn't need to pray before the interview. And the producer's kind of taken aback at this. He's like, I mean, to the, to the producer, here's the great Billy Graham, you know, this spiritual giant Christian leader, well-known over the world. Like, how in the world could he not want, you know, a room to pray and kind of get spiritually ready? Doesn't he know he's going to be live in front of millions of people? And the assistant is in his like, again, thank you so much. It's a great gesture. But Billy Graham started praying when he woke up this morning. And he was praying while he was eating breakfast. And he was praying on the car right over. And I'm sure he's going to be praying throughout the entire interview. The assistant basically told this, this producer, Mr. Graham doesn't need a room to go communicate with God. Why? Because he's been communing with God all morning. He didn't need a, a ghost to a special place to talk. He was already so in tune and connected to his heavenly Father already and was going to continue to be throughout the rest of the day. And for you and I, here, here's the thing. This, this new way of praying, this communion type of prayer, unfortunately is not like a light switch that we can do. There's not like a magic pill that we can take. This is really a skill, I think, that we need to learn, that we need to develop. Kind of like riding a bike. You know, when you, when you first ride a bike, you're not just off into the races. you got to figure out how the pedals work and where the brakes are and how to balance on these two wheels. It's the same sort of thing in this communion type of prayer. For us around here, we call this spending time with God. Okay, that's just, that's our terminology, that's our language. This means spending time with God. But here's what I know about, about many of us. Our idea of well, what does spending time with God mean? If I'm not going to communicate, what am I supposed to do? Just sit there and twiddle my thumb? Like, what, what does it mean to spend time with God if it doesn't mean necessarily communication? So what I want to do is kind of go through a, what, what I think is a natural progression that will happen for many of us that are looking to spend time with God, or if you're already familiar with that practice, you will probably notice, yeah, I do that, I do that. 
I hesitate to go through this because I don't want to create this new like religious formula that we need to follow. I'm just trying to give us some training wheels, okay? Like we're riding this bike together, some training wheels, some handles on what it means to spend time with God and how we can start to develop this in our life. And some of this, I will tell you, I took from a book called How to Pray by Pete Gregg. If you want to read it, you can. But he lays out these, these three steps and I just call the last one something different. But he basically says, start with this, meditation. Now, meditation, I know, especially to some Christians, sounds like a scary word. I don't mean New Age, Eastern, mystical. Oh, that's not, that's not the meditation I'm talking about. Meditation means just focusing our thoughts, thinking about something. I think another word for meditation is just pondering, right? And, and for us, when we're talking about how do we commune with God, how do we build this relationship with God, well, then let's meditate on God. Let's think about God. I love, love, love what David says in the Psalms about this. He says, may the words of my mouth, okay, we got that one, many of us, words of my mouth, check, but also the meditation of my heart. May it be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. If you and I want to experience more of God in our lives, build this communion type of prayer relationship, then meditation is most likely the best place to start. To think about something, to start to draw our minds towards God. Maybe, maybe it's meditating on a Bible verse that, we, that you've read before or a favorite verse or whatever it is and just thinking about that. Maybe meditating for you might mean thinking about the lyrics of some of the songs we sing here. And you're not going to sing them out loud on your own, but like you just kind of run through the lyrics in your mind and, and kind of move your thoughts towards, well, why do they mean so much to me? And how do they describe God? And why, why does it connect with me so much? Maybe for you, you just want to meditate on just a, a general kind of principle or instruction from God to, to trust Jesus. Okay, I'm just going to, I've got to remember, trust in Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for what you've done. Or focusing on eternity or being involved in this. Whatever it is, meditating is like, uh, like, pulling our thoughts together towards one sort of like singular sort of aspect. And for me, what makes sense in my head, meditation is like me with God. It's like me coming into the presence of God, away from kind of the busyness and whatever, and just me with God. And listen, this is going to happen to all of us. If we try this or if this is already a part of your life, we all get distracted, okay? Our minds just wander. When that happens, acknowledge it. And then let's get back to, okay, God, I want to focus my thoughts on you. I want to think about you. I want to be aware of your presence. I just want to spend time with you. And the more we do that, the more comfortable we get in this meditation sort of phase. The more that I think the shift in our minds goes from me with God to God with me. Like our, our perspective is opened up so much that God, you are with me as well. I love how, how Jesus, well, the second step is called contemplation, okay? So first is meditation, then there's contemplation. And Jesus describes what this sort of prayer is like. He says this, just be there as simply and honestly as you can manage. The focus will shift from you. The focus will shift from me with God to God and God with me. And you will begin to sense his grace. I just love this, just be there. To me, I think of contemplation as like 
like my wife and I going on a road trip up to Duluth or something, like I don't need to remember, you know, what she looks like or what she said or something, you know, anything like that. It's just, oh, I'm with you. Contemplation moves from less about doing and more about being, just being in the presence of God. Contemplation is like this grand overall awareness of God's presence and his glory and his grace and his love and all all those sorts of things. And listen, we, we live in a busy world. This is going to be difficult. Okay, That's why we spent all of January talking about ruthlessly eliminating hurry. Because this is hard. But just because it's hard doesn't mean it's an excuse to not try, to not keep pursuing, to not keep building our relationship with God. I think of meditation as like, like learning about astronomy or thinking about astronomy. And contemplation is just like gazing up at the stars at night. Just Nothing specific, just enjoying the beauty of the night sky, enjoying the presence of God. Meditation is like thinking about music theory and chord structures and melodies, and contemplation is like putting on Traveler from Chris Stapleton and just sitting in your living room and just, ah, oh, just enjoying the moment together. It's this God with me sort of thing. And as we, as we keep communing with God, as we keep experiencing him, as we keep remaining or abiding, we become more and more aware that not only are we seeking God, but that also God is seeking to be with us as well. And it's amazing what begins to happen in our hearts and in our lives. And then finally, again, this, I don't want to sound like a formula, but we can get to a point where we, we've, we've meditated and we've contemplated, and I believe it's possible to get to a point where we are totally saturated in God's presence, where we are so overwhelmed and overflowing and almost like just this, this drenched in God's presence, like where, where I mean, there's a, there's a verse in the Old Testament where God just says, be still and know that I am God. Like that, that's what I get here from this separate, this saturation of like, be still and just know that I am God. This is Unfortunately for me, the place I get to the least, but it's the place that I absolutely love the most, where I am just completely enveloped in God's presence. And when I, when I pray, if I get to that point, here's, here's what happens, and I can't even describe this well, but it's, it's like this supernatural peace in my life that I have never felt like this, that I, I can't explain, I can't manufacture. Whatever's going on in, in myself, in my family, at my job, my future, whatever, no matter what's happened in the past, what's happening now, what's coming up in the future, there is just this like, oh, it's okay, just be still and know that I'm God. I'm so filled and satisfied on the inside when I am saturated with God's presence. I don't want anything else. I don't need anything else. I've talked to Kevin about it, our founding pastor, and he describes it as like this. When he's in that moment, just saturated in God's presence, it could be like the walls are on fire and crashing in around him. And someone would need to like tap him on the shoulder, like, Kevin, do you know what's going on? And he's like oblivious to the world because he's so in tune and in sync with God. Man, when I, when I get to those moments, which is not as often as I want, when I get to those moments in prayer, not saying anything, I almost feel like if I were to communicate, I would ruin it. 
Like if I were to utter a syllable, like, oh gosh, I'd screw it up and like I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be in that same moment again. It's like, let me give you another Chris Stapleton reference, okay? Because I know you all love that. <clears throat> it's like if you go to a Chris Stapleton show, right? And it's big arena, 20,000 people or whatever. And he's done with his band stuff and he just comes out with his acoustic guitar. It's just Chris and an acoustic. And he starts playing Whiskey and You, which is his best song by far. Like, I've been there in those moments. I want to look at the other 19,999 people and be like, shut up, everybody. Nobody say a word. Everybody turn your phones off. Don't talk. We're just going to sit here and just, I'm going to lean into this. If I, were to, if I were to sing along to this song, I would absolutely ruin it. That is like a shadow of what it's like in God's presence. I love what the Apostle Paul writes. He writes this prayer out originally for the, the Christians in Ephesus, but I think it's applicable for all of us, about praying that we would get to this point of being saturated and filled and complete with God. He says this, I pray that from his glorious unlimited resource. I just imagine Paul writing this, like pleading with them, maybe tears even running down his face. I pray so much that he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you commune with him and he communes with you as you learn to trust him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power, I wish so bad, may you have the power to understand as all God's people should. Not that all God's people do, but as all God's people should. How wide and how long and how high and how deep His love really is. May you experience the love of Christ. Not may you read about it. Not may you hear a message about it. Not may you memorize some scripture about it. May you actually experience in the core of who you are the love of Christ, even though it's too great to understand fully. Because then, and then you'll be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from this communion, always together relationship with God. When Paul writes these words, everything that's, that's here, this power, this fullness, completeness, love and, love and grace. All of this is available to any of us that have put our trust in Jesus. The moment we say yes to Jesus, this is available. Okay, It's not like we have to reach level 37, new achievement unlocked, God's power. No, no, that's not, that's not the case at all. This is all available. But we don't all experience it. It is only as we learn to commune with God, to stop talking so much and simply be with God that we experience all the benefits. Again, the benefit of Christianity even in general in this lifetime, not sure about heaven, is this. But we only get here the more we build our relationship with God and just commune with Him, experience Him, enjoy Him, abide with Him, remain with Him. And here's the things. I, again, I don't want this to be like, okay, step one for five minutes, step two for ten minutes, and then we get there. No, no, this is not a formula. This is just, I think, what happens for most people is what happens for me as we learn to spend time with God. This is, this is probably the course that we take. Unfortunately, we will end up doing this one way more than this one. 
Okay, when you move down the list, unfortunately, the frequency goes down. I spend much more time in my own life meditating and pondering and thinking about God and all that stuff than I ever do down here. I wish it was different. It's just the reality. And it will probably be the same for you. But here's what I also know. The more we practice this, the more we do this, the more we can learn to pray without words and just simply be with God, man, the easier it will become. If you have never tried spending time with God before, man, you might be at this step for an hour and still wonder, did anything happen? It, it takes a while. It's a skill to learn. We live in a noisy physical world trying to connect with a spiritual God is probably not just going to happen with a snap of our fingers. But the more we do this, the more each step becomes easier and we can get to a place like Paul prayed that we would, where we are full and complete with all the, the, the fullness and power that comes from God's love. I know that I've experienced that in my life. It has gotten easier for me the more that I practice and the more that I remember prayer also means communion. Now, I am not perfect at it, okay? This is not like, do what I do, sort of. No, 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 that's not at all. There are still times in my life where I never get to that third step. There are still seasons even in my life where, you know, weeks where I just feel like, man, I'm just, I, don't, I don't know, I'm not, I'm not connecting with God like I have before. I'm not connecting like I want to. It just feels like just going through some ritual. That's probably going to happen for all of us. But work through it. Keep going at it. God has made himself available to have a relationship with us when we put our trust in Jesus. Let's pursue that relationship. Can you imagine how different our lives could be if we would learn to commune with God. Imagine if we would spend more time in prayer communing with God. Imagine if you could actually experience God's peace instead of just read about it. Wouldn't that be great? Imagine if you could live in God's love instead of just hear a message about it. Imagine if you could actually sense that God is close. He is not distant in your life. Imagine the, the anxiety, the fear, the depression, the worry, the anger, whatever emotions we deal with and struggle with. Imagine how those could begin to fade away. Those are not things that describe God's character. God is not anxious or worried or depressed. The more we spend time with him, the more he produces that fruit in our lives. It's all about spending time with God, enjoying the relationship that Jesus made possible. And so here's my challenge for each of us. Here's my challenge for me. Here's what I hope we can all do as we learn to practice prayer better, as we learn to rediscover how to talk to God. Let's, communication is vital, okay? We're, we're going to talk about that next week. But let's not just leave it at communication either. Let's spend the majority of our time simply communing with our Heavenly Father and enjoying the relationship that Jesus paid such a high price for. And in fact, I want to practice that together this morning. So, would you pray with me as we spend time with God together? Father, hi. It's good to be with you. Thank you so much for making yourself available to us. God, you, you, you don't have to do this. You sending Jesus to pay the penalty for our sins 
was more than we ever deserved, more than we could ever pay you back for. But thank you that you desire a relationship with us, that you open yourself up for us to experience everything you've got, to experience all of you. And so, Father, right now, we want to do that together. We want to spend a few moments with you without talking and simply commune. Father, would you meet us here? Father, I pray that you would help us actually experience your peace. Father, we don't have anything to say, no agenda, but God, what Paul wrote about your love, how, how long and how wide and how high and how deep. Father, help us experience that right now in this, in this room together watching online as we sit and wait quietly and meditate and contemplate Father, would you saturate our hearts and our lives? Father, for many of us spending time with you, um, it might be the most difficult thing we ever do in our faith. It's learning to tune out the world to simply be with you does not come easily. But Father, that's what we want. That's our desire. That's, that's the direction that we want to head. And so Father, I pray that you would just meet us Meet us where we're at, God. When we, when we look to you, when we go to you, Father, thank you that you are already there and that you will fill, you will satisfy, you will saturate us. God, you're, you desire to be with us way more than we could ever desire to be with you. But Father, we just want to keep moving your direction. Nothing else but you, Lord. 
be with us, Father. Saturate our entire life with your presence, with you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.